Well, welcome back to the Andrew Giuliani Show. And today is a day that I've really been excited for, uh, I would say, ever since we announced the start of this show, because uh, somebody who's not just a legend in college football, not just a legend in American sports, but a true American patriot is on with us today, the 1988 National Championship. I won't read any more of his resume because he's a very busy guy. And if I read you his entire resume, he'll never get to his next appointment. So without any further ado, I'll just introduce one of the greatest men you'll ever meet. Coach Lou Holtz. Oh, I'll tell you what, it's delighted to be with you, Andy, and you really humbled me with the comments you made. But I'm just a simple individual trying to stay ahead of the posse. <laughs> well, Coach, I, I got to tell you, you know, whenever you hear people either on the radio or television, sometimes I need to go and, and see who is that speaking right there. You have a truly unique style that is unlike anybody that I've ever heard but you've mastered it to where you've actually become one of the greatest public speakers that I've ever seen. I think most of America would agree with that when they've seen many of your speeches at weddings and what you've done at graduations and all that stuff. How did you master becoming such a great public speaker? I never thought I would be a public speaker. You know, I've got a bad list. I don't have a physique. It appears like anything except that I have very, very scurvy most of my life. I'm just a simple individual. But I think there are a couple of things that are important. That Number one, you have to have something you want to say and a burning desire to say it. You never worry about grammar. You don't worry about punctuation. You just speak from your heart. I had one speech class my entire life. It was at Kent State 101. Now, I went to Kent State. Our motto was, we can't read, we can't write, but we are Kent State. But at Kent State, <laughs> it's not exaggerated. I've got a C in the only speech I course I've ever had. And so just, I, I also think the message is important. I think that the message that I've had for the last 40 years, life is nothing more than making choices. Wherever you're going to bed, because of choices you make. Choose to do drugs, you're up out of school, join a gang, get tattoos from head to bottom, you're choosing that difficult. And don't blame me. Let's just make better decisions. So I think the message of having a burning desire to say something, something I want to say, but more importantly, the message about making good choices. Well, I'll tell you, we can all learn from it. I know so many have learned from it. I got to ask you, coach, you know, so many athletes and coaches and uh, others decide to stay away from politics. Um, but you've obviously decided to, to step in at a time when uh, uh, it's pivotal in American life. What motivates you to get involved and say your political piece, if you will? Well, you know, I'm an old man. My birthday candles cost more than cake, Dandy. But many years ago, and I would like to write a book if I get around to it, titled The, the Privileges I've Lost and the Freedoms I've Lost in the Last 75 Years I've Been on This Earth. And I just didn't want to sit back and watch this country go in the wrong direction. That's just my belief. And I feel that it isn't going to affect my life. But it will affect the life of my children and my grandchildren. I just want to be able to stand up and say what you feel. And I knew it would hurt me in, in different areas. People would be upset. I've had speeches, kids, or different things. But you have to do what you feel in your heart is right and proper. And I believe that this country has been good to me. As I said, I was born during the Depression. My father had a third-grade education. I was born in a cellar. We had one bedroom for my sister, myself. And my parents, a kitchen, a half bath. The half bath did not have a tub of shower or sink. There was no welfare, no food stamps, no safety net. But I like to say I was born with a silver spoon in my mouth because I was born in this country. And I was taught if I made good choices, didn't blame other people, got an education and moved on, 
I could have a very happy life. And that is really what's happened. And I see it slipping away for the young people. I just felt I had an obligation to stand up and speak. And, and I go by the old saying, I, I'm only one, <clears throat> but I am one. I can't do everything, but I do something. That's what I can do. I ought to do. By the grace of God, I'm going to do. And I think you have put your head on the pillow. You have to be comfortable with yourself and what you've done. And if you believe in something, then, then doggone it, follow it. Well, I'll tell you what, Coach. I think that actually leads perfectly to the next question, which is the 1776 Project and the fact that you joined the America First Policy Institute as chair of the 1776 Project, which, and I quote, works to affirm and celebrate America by promoting American values in our educational institutions and through our nation's citizens, not as a look back at the past but as the foundation of our future. And I think about your grandchildren. I think about my two-year-old daughter when I say that. How important are these ideals to the future of our country? I think they're very, very important. You know, the, I was taught by the sisters of Notre Dame and St. Aloysius. We marched out every day at noon recess dismissal to the Notre Dame Victory March. And the, the foundation of my beliefs and my faith, et cetera, go back to that. And I there was a young lady by the name of uh, uh, she was from Texas A&M. She was a cotton bowl queen when we played Texas A&M, and uh, we went down got to know her, and then she got with President Trump, and I made some speeches for her when she was in Texas, and she called me and asked me to be on the committee, and, and I'm not doing very well right now, but I have an assistant named Alex Campana who's fantastic. We've tried to get people to be involved in the school board voting center. You go to churches, you speak, you try to get people to be involved because it's critical with the young people. I worry about what our young people are taught today. One of the things, Andy, and I really believe, and a guy named uh, uh, sorry, uh, Slocum, uh, we used to be the head coach at Texas A&M, great coach, coached against him. He called me the other day. He said he saw a quote of mine, and he said, did you say that? And I said, yeah. So what sums it up? The quote is that I'm asked all the time, what's the difference between people today and people 25, 50 years ago? Today, everybody wants to talk about their rights and their privileges, my rights, my privileges. 50 years ago, Andy, we talked about the obligation, responsibility we had to other people. Mm -hmm. And if I was president, I would insist that everybody spend one year in the military. As an officer in the army, it was after Korea and before Vietnam. So I didn't see any military action in that way, but it was invaluable to me. And I coached the same way because in the military, the one thing you learn, you may want to fail. You have the right to fail. You do not have the right to cause somebody else to fail or lose your life because you don't fulfill your obligation. And too many times we've gotten to everything about my rights and my privilege. How about our obligation, our responsibilities to our fellow human beings? Yeah. You know, it really reminds me of Kennedy's very famous quote, you know, ask not what your country can do, but ask what you can do for your country there in so many ways. So um, you know, I, I want to shift a little bit the conversation kind of getting in, obviously, to sports and how it's kind of crossed into politics over the last couple of years, very much like what you were talking about right there. But I've got to ask, because this is something as, as the father of a daughter that concerns me and looking forward here. My wife was a, was a great athlete from Lithuania. I play a little bit of golf, not as good of an athlete as her, but I think my, uh, my daughter got my wife's uh, athletic ability. We'll put it this way. But when you end up seeing biological boys 
claiming to be girls, competing against girls in NCAA sports and in even grade school sports, high school sports, and even winning NCAA women's championships. What, is, what do you think? Well, I want to digress for a minute, Andy, and say what an extra golfer you are. And I don't know if people know it or not, but you won the New York Amateur State Championship. <laughs> oh, and that was quite an accomplishment, and I loved you. took that trophy. You went to your father, who was a great uh, leader in New York, and he said, now, uh, remember this, the name will go down in history in New York. So, yeah, <laughs> That's you're, right. You're Golfer, I played golf with you. You played Thank on you. the tour for a while, but I, I, I think in making good choices, Andy, you just follow through rules. You do what's right, do the best you can, and show people you care. And if we just follow that rule and do what's right, it's not right for a man to compete with women. It's just there's a different geographical I don't know how to pronounce, but there's just something different with the genes, and that's not right to do that. And for years. I remember I went NC State and I hired a young coach as a graduate assistant by the name of Steve, uh, uh, Bill Belichick. And he was an assistant for me for just a couple of months. Then wow. Title IX came in and you had to cut back. You could not have too many male assistants. You had to have the equal amount of participation for men. So I had to let Bill go last in, last out. And so I hated to do it, but it was the right thing to do. It, it, we fought for years to give women the opportunity, whether it be golf, volleyball, softball, et cetera. And now we're getting away from that. And just do the right thing. And, and you can tell me that a man can have a baby. I, I don't believe that. I, you know, I'm old enough and I'm not smart enough to understand how that happened. But let's just do the right thing. And yeah, to, to be fair to transgender men, have a special tournament for them. Let them compete with one another. But one time they're, they're, they're finishing 125th among the men. The next week they're first among the women. And it's just not right. It's not fair to women. And we fought too long and hard with Title IX to go back and deprive women of this opportunity. I couldn't agree with you anymore. And as the father of a daughter uh, who I hope is active in, in sports, whether or not she makes it up to the NCAA level or not, that'll be up to her. But I certainly couldn't agree anymore with what you just said there. So I got to ask you, you know, when I think about those uh, those spots in sports that are kind of they're beyond sports, it's almost like culture. You know, I think and I'm a Yankee fan, so I think center field for the New York Yankees. And right up there with that is head coach of Notre Dame football. Um, how important is faith in your life and how important is that foundation you think moving forward in American life? Well, I think we always need four things in your life, Andy. If everybody listens to this podcast has to have four things in your life. Number one, you need something to do. You need someone to love. You need something to hope for. You need someone to believe in. You know, it's always my life to have the hope if I was going to be a coach, a coach another day. Now, initially, I never thought that would be possible because there was a time where Notre Dame only hired alums to be the coach. I was not an alum. I wasn't smart enough to get in school at Notre Dame, but fortunately they felt you don't have to be as smart to be the coach as you have to do to be a student at Notre Dame. So that was one of my goals and dreams and ambitions. And, you know, people say, tell me about Notre Dame. I, I say it this way. If you've been part of Notre Dame, no explanations necessary. If you haven't been part of Notre Dame, no explanation will suffice. There uh, 
are two places in this world that I've been part of that are better on the inside than they're perceived on the outside. So many times you see something on the outside looks real nice, you get on the inside, you find out that isn't as nice as one. One of them is Notre Dame, the other one's Augusta National Golf Club. So I was just blessed to be part of Notre Dame, and uh, God is a very strong part of my life. And to be able to go there and go to confusion, confession any time, uh, any day, at 11 o'clock or 5 o'clock. It just was great to be part of it. And to this day, I look back and say, you know, there were some of the happiest days of my life. However, uh, there were some things when I went to Notre Dame. It was a little different now. I made 95000 because they had a policy. The head football coach could not make more than the president. The president was a priest that took them out of poverty. My first year, or my first year, we're playing Southern Cal, arch rival. And we take a bus to Chicago and fly commercially to play this big game. Really? Now, after we signed the NBC contract and after we increased our stadium to 80,000, after we went to Ninth Street January 1, bull shooter, cotton orange or fast, and the only ones we went to, they raised my salary to 115,000. So it wasn't about money or anything, just being part of it. To come out of your office at midnight and you're tired, you're worn out, and it's snowing. And it's June. And you look up, you see the lady on the dope. It was really special. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. Oh, that's that's uh, absolutely amazing. And I got to tell you, Coach, if confession was available to me 24-7, they might never move on to another person. So uh, maybe I'm glad it's not available 24-7 just on Saturdays for the, for the priest's sake. Um, I want to ask you about something that for me in the four years that I had the opportunity to work for President Trump in the White House. It was one of the most special days for me. And honestly, many of the people that worked in the White House and the West Wing as well. In 2020, President Trump awarded you the highest civilian honor, the Presidential Medal of Freedom, which is a, the civilian equivalent to the Medal of Honor. And in that, he said, America recognizes Lou Holtz as a true American patriot who has inspired generations of young Americans. Tell me, what did the Presidential Medal of Freedom mean to you? What does it mean to you? Well, it's the highest honor anybody could receive. And I, I received it with mixed emotions in this respect. Number one, to receive it in the Oval Office was all great. And to be there with my family and friends. I could have 30 friends. One of the guys I took was a friend of mine. He ended up getting to know my grandson and hired him. He's worked for, for three years. Oh, that's great. But, I had mixed emotions because my wife of 59 years, we're married 59 years, I lost her three years ago, could not be there. And when they called her, I did not know I was being nominated. I didn't know a thing about it. But they told my wife I was nominated. You know what my wife said? That's great, but don't tell Lou. I don't want to be disappointed when he doesn't get it. So, I mean, I miss her, and I'm just sorry I couldn't share it with her, but and just, you know, to be in the White House is really special. Just to be part of it, as you know. And, and Brooke Rollins, a young lady who uh, got me involved with AFI, 
tremendous person. And the people that worked in the White House for President Trump, the amount of respect they had for that place. And I understand Reagan would never go into the White House often without wearing a coat and tie. I, I mean, it, it's just special. It's what makes this country great. And when you hear that uh, drugs were found in it, you think, what in the world is going on? Yeah, you're absolutely right, Coach. And, and you know, I, I want to just kind of piggyback on that a little bit and what you were saying there. Um, you know, I, I've heard you talk about your wife, Beth, so many times, including now. How important is family? How important was she? But how important is family to your success? Well, I, I think this, Sandy. I don't care what you accomplish as an individual. I don't, wear, I don't care how many games you won, how much money you made. If you aren't successful as a husband, and a father, you have failed in life. I feel that's your first obligation is to be a good husband, a good father. When our first child was born, we had four children. My greatest accomplishment by far is not coaching, not speaking, it is my family. And I'm really blessed that respect. But when our first one was born, Dr. George Oliver, who's our team physician at College Way, Mary was coaching, said to me, Coach, the most important thing you do as a father, always make sure your children know how much you love their mother. More important than loving them is the best advice I've ever gotten my entire life. I never said a negative word to my wife or about my wife in front of our children. Now in the bedroom, that's, that's different, but <laughs> I think we have to understand our priorities and we look for instant success and instant gratification. That's what's wrong. There are any such things instant gratification. The only thing that brings you happiness, having a belief in yourself and proud of what you've done and the way you do things. And you can fool me and fool the official. You can fool your team. You can't fool yourself. When you lay your head down on the pillow that you and you alone know whether you did the right thing, whether you treated people the proper way, whether you're honest in your dealings, it's not complicated. We're not talking about nuclear physics. We're talking about simple common sense. And I don't know why they call it common sense because it's so rarely used. <laughs> well, you know, Coach, everything you said there really is the basis of the American dream, if you think about it, in terms of family as being the center of American life, in terms of your self-belief and determination, free will, free enterprise. And it's amazing how you could package that up just like that. I, I want to get to another experience that was that was amazing. I remember going to East Liverpool and Steubenville, Ohio, your hometowns, uh, for Holtz's Hall of Fame. And to me, the thing that was so amazing was just how, not just the fact that, you know, you never forgot your hometowns and where you're from, but just how much you are still beloved in those hometowns. What is Holtz's Hall of Fame and uh, what has that meant to uh, the, you know, the, the the area, let's say? Well, about 25 years ago, when I was getting ready to retire, they came to me and they wanted to uh, do a, a memorial. And I said, no, but I would agree to a, Hall of Fame. And the thing about the Hall of Fame is to be an inspiration to younger people. You know, I cannot begin to think the thousands of people that helped influence my way I think, those things I believe. I'm talking about my teachers, uh, Linda Dunlop, uh, meanest human being I've ever met, pound for pound, but she taught me sophomore English. That's why I was able to get through college. There's so many people that played such a prominent role in my life, and my wife was from there also. We couldn't repay the Ed Hester's, the list goes on and on, the things they did. 
but maybe we can help other people. And we want to be able to make a difference. So with our foundation, what we do is, is we give $100,000 a year to scholarship to trade schools. Yeah. You know, we can't make a difference maybe in the college because it's so expensive. However, that we have a trade school right there in East Liverpool that uh, uh, plumbers, electricians, uh, you know, it just goes on and on. Absolutely. And so we've been able to do that. And what we did each year, we honored five or six people that from that valley who made a difference in people's lives. And we put a, a, a memento tomb in the Hall of Fame. And, yeah, people would bring their classes and be able to look at all the different people from that area and how they've influenced it. And to be as an inspiration to people, you can't repay people, but you can pay forward. Yeah. Well, Coach, thank you for everything that you do for the country and the community. I, I want to shift a little bit and talk a little college football. As it's college football bowl season over here coming up, I, I got to ask the first question over here. H have you and Coach Ryan Day had the opportunity to sit down, talk, maybe bury the hatchet a little bit? I think everything that you said, by the way, um, was kind of right on target over here. But uh, ultimately, I want to ask the question. Uh, I didn't have a hatchet. Just understand how this came about. They're, they're doing college game day at Notre Dame. Right. And uh, the guy comes and he has a show there, very popular, and I'm a guest on it. There's thousands of Notre Dame people. And they asked me what I thought about Notre Dame. What am I? I'm standing there by a statue of Lou Holtz. I'm going to say, I don't think Notre Dame has a chance. <laughs> I have a respect for Ohio State. I coached there under Woody Hayes. <laughs> we were fortunate enough to win the national championship. But then, we ran seven yards in a cloud of dust. And, and you got to be able to run the football when everybody in the state didn't knows you're going to run it. And I just didn't believe Ohio State had the capability of doing that the last couple of years. You look at Alabama, you look at Georgia, uh, you look at Clemson with ETN when they had those people. They were always able to run the football when everybody knew you are going to run it. Then you can throw it when nobody knows you're going to throw it. That's where your play-action passes come in. And I said, I didn't think Ohio State would win the game because they weren't tough enough physically on offense. I didn't mean that disparagingly about Ohio State. I was raised in Ohio. I, I, my, my father, I went to college at Kent State in Ohio. So I love Ohio. Fight the team across the field. Show them. I, I love that state. It's a great state. However, when you talk about being great, I didn't think that team was. I, I think under Urban Meyer, they ran the football as well as played great defense. Ohio State's a fine team. Three times Ohio State had fourth and one against Notre Dame. Failed all three times. The end of the game, they have this far to go. Time for one play. They run one play, and they have to do a video replay to see if he scored. Mm -hmm. And we only had 10 people on the field. They said, why'd you only have 10? I said, well, I thought that's all we needed. But... It was a game that Notre Dame should have won. They had fourth and 20, and they convert on it prior to that one-yard run. So I, I didn't want to do anything during this season, but under the type of uh, atmosphere I was in, I made a decision to say what I felt my heart was right and proper. Now, I wrote uh, Coach Day about three weeks ago, to explain it to him, to congratulate him on his year. And I haven't heard from him, not expect to hear from him. I'm comfortable with who I am, where I am, what I did, and how I handled it. 
Well, I certainly hope that Coach Day decides to reach out to you and uh, because uh, obviously I think you're somebody who is not just beloved uh, at Notre Dame, but really across the – and you mentioned the fact you were part of a national championship team at Ohio State, and uh, and so I'll move on from that, but that's something that I certainly, as somebody who's a fan of college football, hopes. Let's get to the college football playoff over here. Now, the big news being Florida State being left out of the college football playoffs as a Power 5 conference that's undefeated, a Power 5 team in a Power 5 conference that was undefeated for the very first time and the only time because they'll be moving on to a different system next year. Do you think the committee made the right decision? Well, 10 years ago when they first came out, I was doing TV, I complained that that four is not enough. You have a minimum that, that all five conference champions should automatically be invited, period. You want to be involved in the championship race? Then win your conference race. I saw the first game of the year when LSU played against Florida State right here in Orlando. I went to the game. I was very impressed with Florida State. Uh, the first half, LSU sort of dominated. The second half was all Florida State. I was very impressed with them. I went up and I spoke to the Florida State quarterback club the last week of the season. I had a chance to sit down with Coach Lavelle, and I want to tell you, there is an impressive young man. See, when you go into a situation, whether it be business or coaching, Andy, you got to go through four stages. First stage, you have to learn how to be competitive. You learn how to be competitive because you block and tackle and do the fundamentals better than anybody else does. Then you have to go through the stage of learning how to win. You learn how to win because you do little things. Everybody doesn't think that it's a little thing. Then you go through stage three. You have to learn how to handle winning. And once you start winning, everybody forgets what it was like when you were down on the bottom, nobody believed it, and everybody wants credit for it. But once you get through that, you go through stage four, <coughs> and that is where you develop a championship culture. And that is when your players take charge of the culture. They don't wait for you. They get start getting on one another. After watching Florida State be with Coach Flemming, He's got the right culture of going. I think that they deserve to be in. However, by the criteria that they set up, we want the four best teams. Florida State was not one of the four best teams at the end of the year because of the loss of the quarterback. They have a great defense, good offensive line, et cetera. However, Georgia is a 14-point favorite over Florida State in the bowl game. Now, if you're going to take the four best teams, why don't you take Georgia? Georgia's number one for three years in a row, and they lose by a field goal, and all of a sudden they're not in. Now, I understand why Florida State's upset, but the criteria, the four best teams at that time. Now, Florida State's not near as upset as the University of Michigan because they have to play Alabama. They, <laughs> were they thought they were going to play Florida State. They all were. They were all for Florida State being invited. <laughs> So, okay, I guess uh, I got to ask your predictions then for the semifinals here coming up. Michigan versus Alabama, who do you like? And uh, Washington versus Texas. I, I think in, uh, I, I think Alabama is a good football team, but they haven't been real consistent. But Nick Saban's done a, done a great job. I think he's won seven national championships. Only once has he gone through the season undefeated. He already has one loss. I think Michigan's going to find a way. I think Dockery, the quarterback at uh, Michigan, most underrated quarterback in the entire country. I think that Michigan is not real fancy, but they execute the fundamentals. They run the football very, very well. 
Alabama on any given day can beat anybody, but also on any given day, they're apt to struggle. Uh, but I think Michigan edges that one out. I, I think Washington is a very good football team. Bennett, uh used to be the quarterback in Indiana. has done a tremendous job. I uh, voted for him for the Heisman. He didn't win it. Dr. Daniels did from LSU. But I think when you really and truly look at it, uh, you have to be impressed with what Washington did. However, you have to also be impressed with what Texas has done as well. They beat the University of Alabama in the first game of the year. You couldn't possibly put Alabama in and leave Texas out with one loss, and that's why Georgia's not in. But I think if Texas finds a way to win the football game, I think they're a little more athletically from top to bottom. I think the championship game, I think uh, Michigan wins it all. Oh, wow. How about that? I, I, I'm sure the Ohio State fans will be happy to hear that as well. <laughs> well, you know, you gotta, I remember this. I went to Ohio State, or to Kent State. I had a professor there, Philip Traver, later when I became president of Miami, I taught a course called Ohio History. I'll never forget, he said, Ohio and Michigan are two of the states to ever actually call out the militia, go to war, blood was shed. He said it was all over boundary dispute of Toledo. He said, I can't believe that the history doesn't record who won the war, but I have to assume Michigan did because I can't believe we fought to keep Toledo. And I've never forgotten that. But, but, you know, you learned to dislike Michigan because being at Ohio State under Woody Hayes, I learned so much from him in so many different ways. We all bitch and moan about the way he was when we coached. When we leave him, we all go coach just like he did at that <laughs> time. But, uh, you know, when you – Get away from it. You just try to be fair and honest. You ask for an honest assumption. I'm going to give you an honest answer as I perceive it. And that's and that's why we love you and respect you, Coach, so much. But I, I want to ask, you know, Notre Dame, it seems like over the last 10 years, has had a, a little bit of a resurgence where they've played in a national championship game. They've been to the college football playoff. What does Notre Dame need to do to get over that hump to win the next national championship. The last chap- national championship they won was with you as head coach in 1988. Well, when I left, they asked Bob Davies what was his wish list. His first wish was ease up the schedule. In 88, when we won it, we beat six teams in the final top 10 poll. Wow. Uh, we beat three teams that were number one, or they were number two is because we're number one. The schedule was very, very difficult when I was there. I think in 21 games, I think 16 of them were against top 10 football teams. That was the schedule. But what it did, you got used to playing against real good teams. You weren't uh, you weren't amazed at the other people on the other side of the ball, how talented they were. But I think that uh, Coach Freeman's an excellent coach. I, I think that he'll eventually lead us there. He's a good recruiter good person. I like him greatly. I think that he understands Notre Dame. And when you get your players to understand their name, this is what scares me about the transfer portal. And the transfer portal, I have a, a guy started Southern Cal as a freshman at Georgia as a sophomore, started for West Virginia as a junior, started this year for race. That's four years. When you transfer, all you do is change the address of your problem. Let's teach people to pick a school because they want that school on their diploma. That's where they're proud of being part of it, et cetera. But no, 
the way it is now. If they don't have instant success, it's only somebody else's fault. They're going to run away. Stay there. Be patient. Get better. Learn your role. And lo and behold, leave that diploma, leave that school with the diploma and know the alumni. So I, I just think it bothers me. And I think paying athletes is what. Uh, I think an athlete should be paid if he works at McDonald's, but not to go to college. But what? how did this happen? The coaches chased the money, then the schools chased the money, and the athletes chased the money. And I you never have enough money. I went to college and never had any money in a pocket. I'd get a date, and we'd go window shopping. I'd give her $1,000, but the stores were all closed. You know, you, you just had to, I want this. <laughs> but you, you learn. You learn to enjoy life. People would say to me in college, Hey, you need a haircut. Your hair is long. I said, I don't need a haircut. Go look in the mirror. I said, I don't look in the mirror. I look at my wallet. My wallet said, you don't need a haircut. So you learn to live with what you can afford and not what you want. And that's one of the problems we have in society today. You know, your rights, your privileges versus your obligations, your responsibilities. Well, Coach, before we go over here, you know, uh, as I said, one of the greatest speakers of all time, give all the Americans out there that understand the hurdles that we're facing here in the United States of America. Give us a little pep talk before we have to go out of the locker room onto the field of battle. Well, those three rules, do the right thing, do the best you can. But the most important one is show people you care. You know, I'm going to be 87 in probably two weeks. And my wife was, a laid back person. She didn't want to be in that alumni. She said one person's enough. She'd done one interview in her life. She had cancer. And so she did the interview. And they said, what'd you learn from having cancer? She said, I learned how much my family loved me. We didn't love her anymore. We showed it. Why do we have to wait for somebody to have a catastrophe before we reach out and say, hey, we care about you. We appreciate you. And for everybody's listening, I guarantee you, there are several people in your life would help if you just call and say, hey, thank you for all you've done. I don't want anything. I just want you to know I genuinely appreciate you. And my wife would get mad. She'd say, how can you talk about loving people with a bumper sticker you have on your car? And a bumper sticker on my car, I thought it was funny. She thought it was rude. We'd go to church Sunday morning. She'd make me park in the back of the lot. The bumper sticker said, Jesus loves you. Everybody else thinks you're an asshole. But I <laughs> think that as you go along, let people know you genuinely care. You'll feel better, but more importantly, you'll make them feel better. And just have no regrets. When you put your head on the pillow at night, have no regrets for what you did that day and how you did it. Well, Coach, earlier in the interview, you said that, uh, you know, if you get inside someplace, uh, most of the time you're disappointed. The only two places that you've been inside where it's actually exceeded expectations was Notre Dame and Augusta National. Well, likely they also say that never meet your heroes because they disappoint you. But I can tell you, Coach, that you far exceed the expectation of absolutely everybody who gets the opportunity to know you. And I'm so glad that I've had the opportunity to get to know a hero like you, Coach. So, Coach, thank you so much for spending the time with me here on the Andrew Giuliani Show. And Merry Christmas to you and all the Holtz family. Merry Christmas. And I want to thank you for the thorough preparation you made to do this you made it very easy but it's always fun to talk to a friend good luck and merry christmas merry christmas coach thank you again